the Sabbath. What day is prescribed for Christians to attend church in the Scriptures? Before we answer this question, let's look at the book of Acts regarding what believers were doing and how it was different than ordinary observance of the law and the Sabbath. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that would be the gospels at minimum, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, these are four fundamental things that create a healthy church or a Bible study or the individual's relationship with Jesus, and they are necessary for growing in the Lord. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, there's the key, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there are churches that spend a lot of money on church growth programs, how to grow your church, tens of thousands of dollars to have a consultant come in and say, hey, this is how you can get more people into your church. But how about this model? You devote yourselves to the teaching of the word, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. How about that one? So the new church was alive. It was vibrant and fresh. The believers were seeing mighty signs and wonders done through the apostles. It was amazing. When I was a new believer, our church was new, and most of the people were under 30. It was alive. We saw miracles in our church, people being healed, people sharing stories of their needs, being miraculously met by God. We saw the spiritual gifts being exercised in accordance to the scriptures within those parameters given, not weirdness, but by the book, so to speak. And as the new guy, I was amazed at all of this. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world and wondered why none of the Christians that I knew growing up or knew in my life, why didn't they tell me about this? And I began to change, and that change was good. And I, being very skeptical about giving money to a church, found opportunities to give to others in a way I believe was consistent with Acts 2.43, and the blessing that it brought about for them and for me was amazing. God showed me the meaning of 2 Corinthians 9-7, given with a cheerful heart, not under compulsion, or reluctantly. And my pastor would routinely tell the congregation at the time the offering was taken that our giving was to God and that the church didn't need your money. If you don't want to give, that's fine. And I liked that. There's no compulsion. So my relationship with the Lord began to grow quickly. And it was all modeled after Acts 2:42 through 45 And God added to our church daily those who were being saved. And by the way, Guess what verse was on the cover of our bulletin? Yep, Acts 2.42. So back in the book of Acts, the church was young, it was alive, and it was Jewish. Therefore, they would continue in their Jewish culture, because likely in their minds they understood that this new life in Christ, or Messiah, would eventually engulf the whole nation, and all would see the beauty of the Lord. That was probably in their thinking. Didn't happen, but they were overjoyed at the reality that Messiah had come, just like Daniel the prophet had foretold. So being filled with the Spirit, which they were, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., and because of this, they fell into favor with all men, as stated in verse 27. So the new Jewish church would undoubtedly honor the Sabbath, not because they were compelled to, but because that was their culture. That's what they did. They would go into synagogue. They would go into the temple. They would do these things because that's what they did normally. 
they were Jewish and they wouldn't stop doing those things because of the new covenant. But they would later find out through the Apostle Paul, and this created some contention in the book of Acts when Paul returned to Jerusalem. Paul was teaching, hey, the law has been superseded by the new covenant. But the Jews in Jerusalem were still very much honoring the law because if they did not, if they went around dishonoring the law, that would have caused a whole lot of grief. But those Gentiles that they were ministering to, they were not bound by the law of Moses in any way. Now, it's interesting, if the new covenant did mandate the old covenant laws be observed, and the Gentiles begin studying the books of the law, they would likely ask all the Jews, why are you disobeying all these commandments? Because they were. And Jesus would have many interactions with the religious leaders about things that were done contrary to the law. And the Sabbath was one of the biggest contentions he had with them. They had created a burden of the Sabbath, and it wasn't made to be that way. It was made to be a blessing. And so the Gentiles, they would likely say, why are you guys not doing this? You can't do it right. Why should we do it right? And we'll see here in a minute, that was confirmed at the Council of Jerusalem, that yes, the Jews were not faithfully obeying the commandments of God, the 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament. So it would be obvious to the Gentiles that many of the Jews were not faithful to the law. And this causes a huge issue in the church between some of the Jews who were known as Judaizers and the apostles at what is known as the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And these men who were Pharisees or separated ones, the elite Jews in their minds devoted to meticulously observing the law, thought it was necessary for the Gentiles to undergo circumcision which was a part of the law that had been given to Abraham and reiterated in the law of Moses. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea who were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Talking about faithfully obeying the law. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind, not just the Jews, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord 
and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. So they understood that the law was not necessary or appropriate for the Gentiles to observe, since the Jews couldn't even get it right. Therefore, the decision was made to simply avoid the things that would cause division between Jews and Gentile believers. And so that's what they did. And regarding the Judaizers, they had a pretty big impact on the church. The book of Galatians, written to all those churches in Galatia, addresses this issue. Because many of these believers who were Judaizers, in other words, they insisted that the Gentiles become circumcised and ordered them to obey the law, they were not consulting the Lord. Rather, they were leaning on their own understanding. One of the things that in the Old Testament you see them doing continually, the whole book of Judges is about leaning on your own understanding. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and they missed the point. And in the second century, a similar group would arise and plague the church with this unbiblical teaching. They were called the Ebionites. So the church grows, and we see a few references of gathering on the first day of the week by the believers. And this doesn't mandate a church day. There's really no biblical basis for a church day in Christ. It's a life of prayer. It's a life of worship. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of witnessing. It's just the way we live our lives. And yes, we do gather. It's healthy. But there is no commandment that we have to go to church on a day. But nonetheless, they were meeting on the first day of the week. And because modern-day Judaizers want to impose these rules on believers and make them feel guilty for not, quote-unquote, keeping the Sabbath, which they don't do biblically either, by the way, so we need to look at this issue and figure out what the Bible says. And the Bible does say that the church met on Sundays. John twenty nineteen. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the seventh day of the week is Saturday, Saturday is the Sabbath, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So Jesus pops in unannounced and didn't have to use the door. I think that's kind of cool. That's what a resurrected body is going to be able to do. So they were gathered together. And it kind of looks like they were hiding out, but they're gathering together. What are they doing? You know what they're doing. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're doing these things. Acts 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, they were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day as he prolonged his speech until midnight. Breaking bread and preaching, that sounds like a church service. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So they were meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul instructs Timothy to take the things that he has learned from him and teach them to faithful men who can pass the torch of faith, and he did that. And we see faithful men of God rising up throughout the centuries, and shortly after the apostolic age, or the age of the apostles, came to an end, we don't know the exact date, but it was probably right around 100, depending on if John did write the book of Revelation in 90 AD and then went on to Ephesus and stayed there for a few years. But a few years later emerges a man named Justin Martyr, and he wrote several books defending the faith of Christianity. And in his first apology, which means defense, it doesn't mean I'm saying sorry. It's where we get our word apology, saying I'm sorry, but it meant in this day defending. Chapter 67, he says this, On the day called Sunday, 
All who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. That's getting into the apostles' doctrine, as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So they read, and then they discuss it. He exhorts them. He gives an exhortation. Then we, notice that we, he's included, all rise together and pray. And as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. There's communion. And the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability and the people assent saying, Amen. So there's your prayers. There's Acts 2.42. They're in the apostles' doctrine. They're breaking bread. They're having fellowship and they're praying. And there is a distribution to each as a participation of that over which thanks have been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. So everyone's getting together and they're eating. And if you're not there, they'll have a deacon who's just basically a servant, a grunt. They'll take it to the people who aren't there. And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fit. And what is collected and deposited with the president who succors or gives assistance to the orphans and widows by those who, through sickness or any other cause, are in want. And those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us and in a word takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. So there you have a testimony of a guy right after the apostolic age, not in 300 when they say that Constantine quote-unquote changed the Sabbath. You have a guy comes along and says, we do this. We, meaning I'm a witness. And their church service looked like Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And not only do they do the four things mentioned there, they also distribute to those in need. And those who are well-to-do, they come and they give. So those who are not can have. And that's just a continuation of that attitude in the book of Acts where people were given cheerfully to those who were in need. In Colossians 2.14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that's referring to the law of Moses, this he set aside, Jesus, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So someone trying to compel you to go to church on a certain day, saying that you need to do this, just show them Colossians 2, 14 through 17 and go, no, no, it's just a shadow of things to come, man. The substance is Christ. The real thing is in Christ. We believe in Jesus. We have his Holy Spirit in us. He is our rest, our Sabbath rest. Romans 14, 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not quarrel over opinions. There you go. Don't argue. One person believes he may eat anything, while another person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, 
The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So we don't judge one another because of it. If you want to go to church on whatever day of the week you want, it's all good. Just love Jesus. Don't condemn one another for not going to church on your day. Okay, That's not from the Lord. That is from the enemy. And as a side note, what my week looks like, the first day of the week, Sunday, get up, practice worship, get ready, study, go to church, unlock the building, set up the sound, crank up the projector, get all that stuff going, set up the mics, get ready for service, teach the study, afterwards hang out with our congregation, and then we leave, we come home. It's kind of exhausting. It's a lot of work. Notice, church is work. So for me and all of the pastors who go to church and do ministry on Sunday, Saturday is our day of rest. So when all the smoke clears, what really matters is, are we loving God and loving others as ourselves? Are we actually believing all the scriptures? The Sermon on the Mount, for example, where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 21, you've heard it said of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Ouch. Yeah, so how are we doing in that area? Are we good there? Continuing in verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How are we doing on that one? Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How are we doing on that one? So the point is, if we go back to the scriptures and we look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and obey him, what it means to be a born from above child of God through faith, receiving his grace, the free gift that comes from him, and now walking in light, trusting in him, doing the things that he says, When we get that right, all these other issues, like going to church on a certain day, or what do you wear in church, or how do you worship, you know, what kind of music do you play, all those things go away naturally because the focus is on Jesus. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you.